1: If you don't know me, my name is Kirk McDonald. Uh, I am one of the pastors here at the church, and it is my great privilege uh, to bring to you God's perfect and precious word. May he add his blessing to it. Well, you know, it's been uh, 104 days and weeks and weeks and weeks uh, since we last got together. And uh, there's so much uh, on my heart and so much that I want to say, uh, but time does not allow. Just know that I am overjoyed uh, to be here this morning. Thank you. Uh, for coming out to to understand and engage in what it means to be a part of the family of God, a community of believers, loving one another, serving one another, side by side, striving for holiness and godliness connected together as a church family. That's who we are and that's who we are seeking to be. So thank you for being here this morning. If you would go ahead and open up uh, your Bibles to the book of Philippians, that's where we're gonna be uh, this morning. As you know, we began this series about 13 weeks ago and, and we, we keyed in on one key verse, uh, in Philippians, which is the, the the overarching verse, if you want to understand what the Apostle Paul is getting after in Philippians, you need to understand Philippians chapter one, verse twenty-seven. Let's let's go there together right now. Is it is it too too quick in the sermon to get into the text? No, it's not. Let's do it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 is the overarching verse, and it says this Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one. Mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is the overarching text. Everything that is said after that verse is explaining the whys and the hows of what it means to live a life that is worthy of the gospel and what it means to be striving side by side. Now, when he says live a life worthy of the gospel, it is not in the sense that we are doing all that we can to gain God's love and acceptance. Oh no, church family, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we already have full acceptance, but, but look at, if, if you're reading an ESV, look at that footnote as to live as citizens worthy. You look at that right, right next to it, look down at the bottom in your footnotes, is, live as citizens worthy of. So what that means, what he's getting after when he says, live a life worthy of the gospel, he means to live down here like we belong up there. Anybody here this morning belong up there? I belong with Jesus Christ, but, but I'm not there yet. We are on a journey, so we are to live down here like we belong up there. But then that verse goes on to show us that, that, that as we journey, this is not a, a one-man march. This is not a, a solo run because he says that we need to be striving side by side, one mind, just, just together, locked arms, so, so that we are functioning as a family. That's what we are. We function as what we refer to here at Gospel Community Church as a forever family. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Christians are to live down here like they belong up there, united to a forever family. That is the calling of a Christian. We are to live down here, meaning striving for holiness, meaning living an others-oriented life, meaning our lives don't look like the people in the world. We live differently. So we live down here like we belong up there, yet we don't do it alone. We do it with a church family. That That is the Christian life. Now, the text today, what's happening is there are two ladies in the church that are not living a life worthy of the gospel, they are not striving side by side in radical unity, because that's the calling, radical unity. They're not doing that. And so what happens is the apostle Paul brings the gospel to bear on these two women who are at odds with one another in the church, and through that reveals to us a life-changing gospel biblical truth. Y- y- are y'all ready this morning for a life-changing gospel Bible truth that's going to change your life? Yeah. Because that's what we discover in the text. He, he's addressing these two women, but in addressing them, what we discover is something beautiful. What we discover is this right here. Here is the sermon in a sentence. Th- this is the whole kit and caboodle. If you, if you got this sentence right here, you got the whole sermon. Here it is. Prayer is the pathway to a joy-filled life that is fearless and content. Prayer is the pathway to a joy-filled life that is fearless, live, meaning living without fear, and content, meaning I'm happy with where God has me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy in the journey that he has me on. At the point where I am, on my traveling toward the celestial city, I'm good with where I am right now. We, we live, in, and to get that way, to get a joy-filled life, do you want a joy-filled life, church family? Do you want to live in, a, in such a way that is fearless? Do you you want to have a sense of contentment in your life? Well, the pathway to get there, to get joy, to get fearlessness, to get contentedness is prayer. That's the the pathway. So I wonder if anyone has come in this morning filled with worry, filled with anxiety, filled with fear. I wonder if you're here this morning wondering what's going to happen with with the money that I owe. What about my parents' health? What about my marriage? I wonder if you are filled with fear and anxiety this morning. Well, this passage will help us live fearlessly. I wonder if Anybody in here this morning has come in unsettled, dissatisfied. Are you upset with the hand that you were dealt? If so, this passage is going to teach us a way, a different way of living that doesn't say, I didn't get what I'm owed, but rather I'm happy with where God has me on my journey. That's what we're going to discover in the text this morning. Just, Just quickly, look at, in our text, chapter Chapter four, look at verse four. You want a joy-filled life? Look at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You, you want to talk about fearlessness? Look, about, look at verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. Is that fearless living? That's fearless living, church family. You, you want to talk about contentedness? Look at verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. That's, that's a way of living content. And how do we, how do we get there? We'll look back at, at verse six but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer is the pathway to a joy-filled life. Fearless, fearless and content. I want that for you. I want that for me. Okay, now that's the sermon done. I'm done preaching now. I'm done preaching. Y'all don't believe me though, do you? Okay, so what I need to do as, uh, as your pastor, I need to take you to the text and show you that everything that I just said is right here in the text. Y'all want to do that? Yeah. Let's do that. Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to begin in verse 2. Listen to what he says. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He begins the, the chapter, I mean, just look at this beautiful verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. I feel this this morning, Jerry. I feel this way about you this morning. How I long for you, my joy and my crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. After he, he opens the chapter with this address about his love for them, his love moves him to concern. Any, any parents here this morning, you feel that deep love for your children and that deep love for your children moves you often to concern? Well, that's what's happening here. He is moved to concern because there are these two women in the church, they're Christians, they're fellow workers, their names are written in the book of life. We're going to see that, but they're at odds with each other. There's been some type of disagreement. Now, here's what we know. It's not a theological disagreement. You want to know how I know that? because if it was a the theological disagreement, the Apostle Paul would have said some. <laughs> the Apostle Paul would have weighed in on their theological disagreement and said either Iodia is right or Syntyche is right or no, they both wrong. But he doesn't weigh in on uh, a theological issue which lets us know this is a personal dispute within the church, within these two ladies. Now, we know that has never happened here. And so... <laughs> We know that's happened here a lot. And so this text has something for us this morning. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. This is a personal disagreement. Now, I want to remind us that um, these letters were sent to these churches. And when the letters would arrive, they would gather the congregation and the letters would be read aloud. Syntyche is in the back. Yodi is sitting over here. And there there is the letter reader saying, calling them out publicly in front of the church. These two folks need to figure out how to get along. Now that shows us two things. One, it shows us the nature of, of Paul's relationship with these women and this church. They love and respect him enough, and he loves and respects them enough to call them out. And they love and respect Paul enough to receive his rebuke. It also lets us know of the seriousness of disunity within the church body. If he's going to take time out of his address to to hone in, to zero in just on these two ladies and their dispute it means that we cannot allow disunity to stand within the church. We cannot allow bitterness to grow against another brother or sister in Christ. We cannot allow anger to grow against another brother and sister in Christ. Listen, we are imperfect people and sometimes we say and do dumb things, insensitive things. That's going to happen. What we must do as Christians is then address that to another brother or sister in Christ in a loving way. So he doesn't, Allow it to stand. Here's what we need to know. Where there is gospel application, there will be reconciliation. Where there is gospel application. This is, the apostle Paul has been bringing the gospel to bear on this church. And here are these two women who are not reconciled. Here are these two women who are separated. Here are these two women that love Jesus, yet they're apart. And what he's doing, he's asking them to agree in what? In the Lord, he's bringing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to bear on them because where there is gospel application, there will be reconciliation. Amen. Listen, listen, church family, does our country, does our country need reconciliation today? Our country, there is a giant racially divided line right down the middle of the heart of our country. And what we need is gospel application and we need the church to lead the way. Sadly, the church is not in a position to lead the way because we are largely still segregated. And so what the church needs to do is focus on that gospel application so that there could be reconciliation and the church can lead the way. But y'all don't want me to talk about that, so I'll stop. What what we need to see here in the text is that the apostle Paul is taking and bringing the gospel to bear to see these two women who are not reconciled, to bring them back together, to focus on the main thing. He wants them to agree in the Lord, agree in the power and the work and the beauty and the majesty and glory of Jesus Christ so that their relationship might be reconciled. Verse three, yes, and I ask you also, true. Companion, or the footnote there says, uh, yoke fellow. Yes, I also also ask you true companion. Who is the true companion? Well, we're not exactly sure, but it's most likely Epaphroditus, the one who is carrying the letter uh, there to the church. I, I ask you also true companion. Listen to what he says. Help these women. He asked Epaphroditus to get involved in their relational squabble, in in their little dispute. You see, what happens so often is because we are so close to a problem or to a relational issue with another brother and sister in Christ, we think we see it the best when the opposite is exactly true. Think about that. When, when when you get into a disagreement, you're so close to that situation, you're so close to that relationship that, that you're disagreeing over, you're so close to it that you think you know it best, but the problem is the closer we get to it, the harder it is to see the big picture. And so the best thing that can happen, the best thing that can happen is getting other brothers and sisters in Christ involved to help us end a dispute. Going to your community group leader. Hey, listen, uh, last week during community group, Listen, I, I know they were probably just joking, but they, you know, they made this disparaging comment about how my kid runs. You know, he, he kind of runs funny, and I can say that because I'm his parent. But they're not allowed to say that, and it hurt my feelings. Right? That, that's a real conversation, and the community group leader says, "All right, you know what? Let's let's talk about that." Br- br- brings them together. Hey, you, you made this comment and hurt. You know, look. And, and the guy says, "Look, I, I I was just making a joke. It it, it, was, it was. Man, it was way off base. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Man." That's how that's supposed to work, amen? That's how that's supposed to work, not letting that root of of bitterness grow. Listen to uh, these kind of two things that he's bringing to the forefront of their minds. Listen to what he says. He says, yes, I ask you also, I'm in verse three, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women, listen to this, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, He wants those two ladies to remember that they have labored side by side in the gospel with him. They they were boots on the ground helping him plant the church there in Philippi and he wants them to remember that they were linked arm in arm in the gospel serving. Now, why does he want them to remember that? There's There's another thing that he also brings up to them who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He's reminding them to help in their dispute two things, one, that they've labored side by side, and secondly, that their names are in the book of life. He's reminding them of the mission they were on because mission creates unity. Let me say that again, mission creates unity. This is why I believe we we experience such sweet fellowship here at Gospel Community Church because we are linked arm in arm as a team to get the work of the gospel done, to to see the kingdom expand. We work together in that that working together as as we have to mount TVs, as we have to get new cameras, as we have to do all of this work to make all of this possible. We are linking arms together as the greeters were out there greeting and hand sanitizer stations everywhere. All of this work needed to be done and we are linking arms together in fellowship to see it happen which creates unity. He's reminding them of the unity that they have in Christ. Amen. Not only that, he says their names their names are written in the book of life. Why would he why would he remind them of that? Well, don't you know church family, on that great and final day, these two women will be radically united in Christ because their names are written in the book of life. So if they're going to be reunited on that great and final day, they can be reunited right now. That's why he reminds them that their names are written in the book of life. Don't you see when Jesus returns, your little personal squabble isn't going to mean anything. The, the, the offhanded comment they made about how your kid runs is not going to matter when Jesus comes back. Your hurt feelings over that little issue is not going to mean a thing when the skies rip apart and Jesus comes back.
0: Yeah.
1: So he's reminding them that their names were written in the book of life. Now, before we read verse four, we need to be reminded of the context of what's happening. The apostle Paul is not sitting on the beach uh, sipping a drink with a little umbrella in it. This church is not sitting in cushy chairs in an air-conditioned building. The Apostle Paul is in jail, chained to a Roman guard. This church is being persecuted. They're poor. They're being hunted and killed for their faith. Get that in your mind when he says this next verse. Verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. One command two times. He says the same thing in 2.18. He says the same thing in 3.1. He says the same thing in 4.4 that he's saying here, rejoice in the Lord. Always again, I say rejoice. Now, if it's me and I'm looking at this verse, I would take out the word always because it's very uncomfortable. (laughs) I wish there was an unless in there, don't you? Rejoice in the Lord, unless things are really painful, unless your circumstances are are, are really terrible. Rejoice, rejoice when you can. But that's not what the verse says at all. The verse says rejoice in the Lord always. And and the question is why? We've had some days, haven't we? We've, We've had some long journeys. We've had some struggles. We've had deep pain. And so how in the world do we always rejoice? This, this seems unattainable. It seems impossible. Well, it is possible if it is in the Lord. That If you wanna know how to rejoice always, if if you're looking for that joy-filled life, the rejoicing is not in circumstances. If you base your rejoicing in circumstances, you're gonna have super high highs and terribly low lows. But what we're talking about is a steady journey, a lifestyle of rejoicing. And the way that that happens is it's in the Lord. Now, what do I mean? I'm glad you asked. Here's what I mean. I mean, it is a rejoicing in what the Lord has done. It's a rejoicing in what the Lord is doing and it's a rejoicing in what is to come. So it's a rejoicing in what he has done, meaning his completed, finished work on the cross where he died for our sins in our place so that his, his righteousness might be imputed to us so that we might be made right with the heavenly father. In addition, that, that's what he has done already, but he is at work now in your life. Church family, did you know that? Jesus is working in your life. He is, he is moving you down closer and closer to, to being like him. He is changing your heart. He is blessing you. He is pouring out blessing upon blessing upon blessing blessing on you for his glory and for your good. That's what he's doing in your life. And it's also a rejoicing in what is to come on that great and final day when, when the crowd, crowds will be rolled back as a scroll and the trumpet will sound and the Lord will descend and we will all say it as well with my soul. That is what we rejoice in. If that's your joy, you can keep on rejoicing when circumstances are painful. When, when, if that's your joy, you can rejoice when the doctor says it's cancer. If that's your joy, you can rejoice even when the bank account is empty. If that's your joy, you can rejoice even when there's difficult issues in your marriage. He tells them, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Here's what I want you guys to see. There is an unshakable foundation for continual joy so long that it is in the Lord. So long that it is in the Lord. Verse five, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Now this word reasonable in the Greek can also mean gentleness, can mean gentle. So he's he's calling these two women to focus on their joy in the Lord and for them to be reasonable and gentle with each other. And, and he, he says, let your reasonables be known to everyone. So apparently this little conflict that they have, everybody knows that they're not rejoicing in the Lord. Everybody knows that they're not being gentle and reasonable with each other. And so this is his exhortation to them to be gentle and to be reasonable uh, with one another. And he gives, uh, at at the end of verse five, this very interesting reason why they should be that way. Did you see that at at the end of of verse five? Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Why? The Lord's at hand. (laughs) That's why you need to be gentle and reasonable. The Lord's at hand. Okay, what does that mean? (laughs) Why is that a reason? You guys are smart Bible people. You know how to ask questions of the text. Why is the nearness of the Lord reason for them to be reasonable with each other? Well, he, he which one is he aiming at? Okay, think deeply with me. Is he aiming at the fact that uh, when you when you become a Christian, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, also known as the Spirit of Christ. And so Jesus is incredibly near to us. He, Jesus is here, right here, right now with us. He's near. Or is he pointing to the nearness of his return, meaning Jesus could come back at any moment? And why would either of those things help them to be reasonable? Well, I think he's aiming at both. <laughs> I think he's aiming at both. The nearness Jesus is here with us. So, so listen, he's telling them, talk to each other like Jesus is in the room. Yeah. Now, I have two little girls. Uh, and, and they talk to each other. And when mommy and daddy are in the room, they talk to each other a little differently. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and, and 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 so what he's saying is talk to to each other like Jesus is in the room. You guys wouldn't be nasty to each other at each other's throats if Jesus was in the room. You go, oh man, it's Jesus. We better straighten out, you know? And, and also, he's pointing to the fact again that Jesus could return at any moment. And this little squabble that you guys have going on won't mean anything. You, you, you'll forget all about it. Okay, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. Man, I've read that probably a hundred times just this week, Just, just reading it over and over again, looking at my life and all the anxieties that I carry and trying to ask the Lord to change my heart. Do not be anxious about anything. The scope of the word, anything is all encompassing. But Paul is instructing us to live a fearless attitude with an attitude of, it's it's gonna be fine. It's gonna work out. God is is in control. Just just listen to what Jesus has to say on this uh, very same topic. I, I read this several times this week too and was just so blessed by the words of our Lord. He says this, "'Therefore I tell you, "'do not be anxious about your life, "'what you will eat or what you will drink, "'Nor about your body, what you will put on. "'Is not life more than food, "'and the body more than clothing? "'Look at the birds of the air. "'They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, "'and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. "'Are you not more valuable than they? "'And which of you being anxious "'can add a single hour to the span of his life?' "'I gotta read that again.'" And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field as they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, he keeps saying it. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. Shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after things of uh, the heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Listen to this. For tomorrow will be anxious about itself. (laughs) Sufficient for the day is its own trouble what Jesus just communicated there, which Paul is recommunicating, is that worrying is for the pagans. Worrying or being anxious is a non-Christian activity. So if you are a Christian, we don't worry. Here's what we do. We leave it in the hands of the Father. Now, now pause for a moment and, and listen to this instruction that, that he's giving these women. He's telling them Um, Okay, I want you guys to be always rejoicing in the Lord. I want you to be gentle with each other, and I don't want you to be anxious. Okay, if they actually did that, what would happen to their disagreement? It it goes away. It, it, it It totally goes away. Now, listen to what he says. Because... These commands, okay, anybody anybody thinking about these commands and, and considering how you actually live and saying, yep, I don't do that, okay, rejoice always, you, you guys do that, rejoice always, okay, how about always being gentle and reasonable, anybody been unreasonable this week, <laughs> okay, uh, how, how, about, uh, how about being anxious, just, you're, you are, man, I'm not anxious about anything, I'm, I'm a, like, call me a cucumber, man, I'm, I am cool as a cucumber, okay, He's going to show us how to make those three things a reality. He's going to show us. Look back at verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but. So so that but right there is a rather or in, instead of doing those things, instead of being anxious, I- instead of walking in anxiety all the time, but in everything by, what's that word? Prayer and prayer. Supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known. To God, how is it possible? It's possible through prayer. It's possible when we take our worries, when we take our anxieties, when we take our pain, and we leave them at the feet of the Father. When we leave it there, you, leave, you, get, you take your request. This word supplication is, uh, is, is is kind of the idea of an urgent request, a pleading. We're pleading with the Lord and leaving it at the feet. If you're taking notes, a Christian will find themselves in great danger when we seek to cure anxiety with preparation or calculation instead of going to the Lord in prayer. The cure for anxiety is prayer, not preparation and calculation. See, I'm, I'm more on the first one. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on that preparation train. That's that's what when I when I get anxious about something I'm going to come up with a plan and I'm going to be hyper prepared before I go into that meeting before I go into that situation before I go into that conversation I am hyper prepared I got notes I got stuff I got things y'all don't even know about I am prepared to go into that. And I try to use that preparation as a cure for anxiety, but that's not the biblical prescription. Other people are more calculated. They're, they get into a situation, an issue, a problem, and they think, I can think my way through this. I can calculate how to get around this problem. I can calculate my way through this problem in my marriage. I can calculate through this problem with my finances. I can calculate through this issue with addiction that I have. I can, I can figure this thing out. And we try to cure our anxieties through preparation or, or calculation when the biblical cure for anxiety is prayer. Yeah. It's taking it to the feet of Jesus and saying, Oh God, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I'm lost. I feel alone. Nobody under, I'm so freaked out about this thing and I'm, I'm leaving it here. And I know that you love me. And I know that you're powerful enough to walk through this with me and that you will not leave me. You will not forsake me. You're going to take care of this because you're my father and you love me. That is what he is calling us to do. We make the request known to God, not because he does not know, but because the aim is that it would relieve our anxiety. It's the heart that says, I told my father about it, and he's going to take care of it. That's what that heart says. If you're taking notes, if you want to be free from the prison of circumstance, learn the spiritual discipline of leaving it at the feet of Jesus through prayer. Anybody want to be free from the prison of circumstance? I know I do. I feel trapped by it all the time. I want to be free from the prison of circumstance. And the pathway to do that is through prayer. Okay, verse seven, we got to move. Um, Here's what we see in verse seven. There there is an and uh, at the beginning there. He says, and the peace of God showing us that and is showing us that the result of leaving our anxieties at the feet of Jesus through prayer, the result of it is verse seven. So when, so when we go to Jesus, I'm freaked out. I feel trapped by my circumstances. This is what's happening in my life. I have no idea what to do. I'm freaking out, Lord, but I'm laying it at your feet and I know you're gonna take care of it. Amen. I trust you. When you do that, verse seven happens. Verse seven happens. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is so astonishing about this verse is that any peace that is gained here on earth must be guarded. Yet this peace guards us. (laughs) So let's ask this question. What is the peace of God? Look at verse 7. Verse seven says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. What is the peace of God? Well, I've jotted down three things. It's, this is an expansive, huge theological concept, and I'm going to try to say it in three statements, which barely scratch the surface. First, what is the peace of God? The peace of God is peace with God accomplished through the cross, that's the first thing that it is. What is the peace of God? We cannot have peace of God, peace with God without the cross. There, there's no way. We, we are enemies of the king. We are enemies of God. We have turned our back on him. We have gone our own way. We have decided that we know better than him. And he is a king filled with wrath. Yes, he is a God of love, but he also is a God of wrath. And he will destroy his enemies. So there is no peace with God unless there is the cross. Secondly, what is peace with God? Well, the peace of God is peace that comes from God. We cannot have the peace of God without the cross. And this peace of God comes from God. Meaning it's something that he gives to us. Meaning as we are there on our hands and knees crying out to him in the floor, not knowing what to do about this situation we are facing in our life. And and we say, Lord, I give it to you. He whispers to us through the power of his Holy Spirit. I got you. I love you. You are my son, you are my daughter, and I am with you. And I want you to know I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be okay because I am your heavenly father and I got you. It's a peace that comes from God. And as we wipe the tears from our eyes and as we pick ourselves up out of the floor, when you feel that overwhelming peace, have you ever been there, church family? I've been there many times. I've been there many times. And you you stand up and you got snot coming out of your nose and you've been done crying and you get up. And you take that deep breath, and you know that He's got you. That right there, that's the peace of God. That's the peace of God. Thirdly, the peace of God is a heart that is happy with where the Lord has me. I'm happy with where the Lord has me. We all know we're on a journey. So often we look way up the road and we say, I wish I was up there. Lord, I want to be there. Why can't I be over there, Lord? Why do I have to be right here? They're over there. They got to, and, and, and what about him? Look at that guy. He doesn't even deserve to be over there. He doesn't even deserve to be on the road, much less be way up there. But, but, but the peace of God is a heart that says, I'm running the race that God has for me. God has carved out for me a lane and I'm going to stay in it. This is my lane. This is where God wants me to be. This is where he has me on the journey. This isn't being comfortable with sin, church family. Oh no, far from it. This isn't being comfortable with sin, but it's being happy with where God has me and my station in life. That's contentment. And again, that comes through that thankfulness back in verse 6, that thankfulness in our prayers. Lord, I, I can't, I can't believe how good you've been to me. You have blessed me so much with, 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 stuff that I don't even deserve. I'm looking at my life, and I'm looking, I'm seeing people that love me. I got, I got clothes on my back. I got food in my fridge. I'm, I am so blessed, Lord. You see, that is what turns and changes our heart to contentedness. Thankfulness leads to contentedness. Amen. 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 So, that's what we see. See, even the painful parts and disappointing issues we have, the peace of God comes into our hearts and says, Jesus is enough. Last question. Last question, church family, and then I'm out of your hair. Listen to this verse again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Last question that we're going to ask of the text is this. Why does it or how does it surpass understanding? It surpasses understanding because when you live always joyful despite circumstances, when, when you are living fearlessly in a, in a very dangerous world, um, when, when you are content with where you are in your life, it confuses the heck out of your lost friends. They think you are absolutely nuts. They have no idea what you're doing. They they got no clue about what is going on in your head. They are like, man, you are insane. It surpasses their understanding. They don't understand your security in the Lord. They don't understand that your heart says, my dad's got me. They don't understand it. That, that's why it surpasses understanding. And look at look back at the text. It, that peace, it actually guards, did you see that? Your heart and your mind. Here's, here's how it does that. If you're taking notes, the peace of God guards us From feeling destructive feelings and thinking destructive thoughts. Slow down and think about that. This is how it guards us. This is how the peace of God, when it rests on us, when the peace of God comes from heaven and rests on you, it guards you from thinking destructive thoughts and feeling destructive feelings. What do I mean? You ever had a destructive thought before? Ever felt something destructive? I, I, I see no way out of this. I don't say I'm, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to lie to my boss. That's that's the only way I can get out of this thing. I'm, I'm going to have to fudge it. You know, that's I'm, I'm going to have to tweak the books here a little bit. To I'm going to have to tell my boss that that you know I, I I actually started on the project and yet my coworker over here they didn't do what. Those are destructive thoughts. But when the peace of God rests on you. It keeps you, it guards you from thinking destructive thoughts and feeling destructive feelings. So if we want to have a joy-filled life, fearless and content, do you want that, church family? Do you want a joy-filled life, fearless and content? The way to get there is prayer. The way to get there is prayer. I wanna close by reading a hymn written by an Irish poet in 1855. Maybe you've heard it before. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. And what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray now. Oh Lord, these verses are life-changing. These verses have shown our hearts that we need to be inclining ourselves constantly to prayer. Lord, I ask now that we would be a people of prayer. I pray now for uh, the prayer team. Uh, that has been leading us to uh, form a culture of prayer here in our church. And I pray uh, over their ministry now, Lord, that you would increase their ministry and see them uh, creating a people of prayer here at Gospel Community Church. I pray now for those who are filled uh, with worry, those who are filled with anxiety, those who have come this morning carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders, not content and worried. I pray now that they would turn to you in prayer. Even now, as I pray, their hearts would be turning to you in prayer, that they would begin with supplication, meaning they are asking you to do what only you can do. Their hearts would turn to thanksgiving, thanking you for all the blessings that they have. And Lord, let us all collectively now as a congregation, as a church family, take our worries, our woes, our troubles, our pain, our anxiety, and leave it at the feet of the Father. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.
0: Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.